Here we go. Welcome to Black Talk, the monthly show that features Black voices, Black thought, and Black vision. I am your host, Michelle Simpson, and today we're going to be talking about Black mental health. And those of you who are longtime Black Talk listeners know that we have devoted previous segments to this very topic. My guest today is Dr. Eldridge Greer, and Dr. Greer has introduced a new phrase into my lexicon, and I like it. So I'm going to reframe the theme of today's talk to Black mental wellness. And we'll get Dr. Greer to tell us a little bit more about that and what that means and what that looks like. And um, Dr. Greer, what I'm going to do just to start is I'm going to share with our audience um, some pieces and parts of your bio. And so I'm going to ask you to tell me what I get right and perhaps what I've left out. Okay, that that is key to knowing a little bit more about you. So what I think I know currently is that you are the clinic director, as well as a visiting assistant professor at the University of Denver. Um, And University of Denver has what they call a mortgage, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, College of Education, and that you are a part of that. However, however, your background includes several roles in DPS in the Denver public school system. And at one point, you were the Associate Chief of Student Equity and Opportunity. You were also a school psychologist in the Adams 14 School District. And then when I think about kind of your extracurriculars, like that's not enough, um, you are the board chair of the Colorado Association of School-Based Health Centers. And you were appointed by the governor to serve on the Colorado Child Protection Ombuds Office team um, and passed and you know, this is a short show, so I'm gonna try to talk faster because you've got a long resume. <laughs> uh, but in the past, you were board member and chair of the Odyssey Charter School, um, as well as a vestry member of the St. Thomas Episcopal Church. So question, anything you would like to add, revise, maybe recant? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, some of those have shifted over time, but uh, uh-huh. all that is, in terms of things that I uh, had the privilege of being able to do um, during my time here in Colorado. I think some um, pieces to add to that is uh, I'm currently the uh, CEO of Whole Child, Whole Adult Counseling, uh, which provides uh, private practice uh, services and supports uh, to uh, members of the community. Um, I uh, as part of my work in Denver Public Schools, one of the things that I was extremely proud of, and uh, I'll brag a little bit because uh, oh, please do. Allowed, allowed us to uh, be invited to the Obama White House. Uh, oh, wow. Discipline reform efforts. So disrupting and trying to dismantle the school to jail pipeline, shifting away from punitive uh, practices, either through student discipline or through the use of school resource officers to more of a restorative uh, restorative practices, of course we use restorative practices 
instead okay. of restorative justice, just to get even further away from kind of like a dominant culture of justice, a model for how you repair uh, harms to the community. And being able to be one of the few districts uh, that the Obama White House invited to the White House to talk about like, how do we really do this work? How do we do it in a way that uh, centers um, educational equity uh, in uh, Black communities, in Latino communities, in Asian communities, uh, was and is something that is extremely um, valuable um, to me as I think about some of the work that I've been able to do. And in terms of just the uh, mental health work, really trying to focus on how do you take the best of what we've learned from Western psychology, and there's a lot we've learned from Western psychology around uh, identifying and addressing mental illness, but moving to a place of centering what mental wellness looks like from an African-American perspective or from a perspective of individuals of color. Okay. And especially with the year we've had with racial reckoning, with uh, COVID-19, with uh, the aftermath of the uh, Trump administration, uh, the economic uh, challenges that we face, and just the deaths that have come from um, uh, the COVID experience. Being able to figure out as people, how, how do I maintain wellness in spite of all of these things that really are chipping away at my sense of, or my community's sense of being? You know, I've been thinking a lot, and um, I'm sure much of it has to do with the anniversary, so to speak, of Daniel Prude's death, um, which occurred last March on the 23rd, actually. And based on what we know about Daniel Prude, um, he ran out of his brother's home, his Rochester, New York home. Um, he was described, anyway, in most of the accounts as running out of the house shoeless and shirtless, and he was described as being, and I saw this on a number um, of newspaper pages, um, he was described as being in an erratic state. Uh, his brother, Joe, called 911 for help. And when the police got there, um, they had also received a separate call about a naked man kind of running in the street and shouting that he had the coronavirus. And so the police arrived, they handcuffed Daniel Prude. Um, and at that time, again, the description was that when they handcuffed him, he was clearly um, delirious and um, struggling. So, and they handcuffed him with little to no trouble. And Mr. Prude, at some point, at least these are how the accounts were written, um, began spitting. And so the police covered his head with a hood. And when he tried to get to his feet, they pinned him face down on the, um, on the street and pushing his head into the pavement. And this is what we saw in the footage um, of this particular incident. And Mr. Prude stopped breathing after approximately two minutes. And though medics resuscitated him um, at the scene, he died a week later in the hospital. And I wanted to just highlight this case as a place to begin as we talk about black mental wellness, because in the minds of many, and I'll speak for myself, at least in my mind, it's a case that is not unusual. Um, historically, black folks have not been given the same consideration as their white counterparts who may suffer from a mental illness. Um, black people don't seem to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, 
one might say, and are not believed to even suffer from mental illness or have any emotional challenges. And so a claim of mental illness on a part of a black person is often, again, this is an opinion, um, viewed as an excuse or not believed. Um, and so it's not believed because there's this other narrative at play that black people are inherently criminal <laughs> or depraved in some way. So in the case of Daniel Prude and in other instances, um, the kind of treatment or support or even handling on the part of law enforcement um, can be not only missing, but problematic. And so what would you say in this instance when you're telling us about black mental wellness, what it is and how does it differ from mental wellness in the main? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, there are so many, uh, so many aspects of, of what goes into uh, talking about uh, what happened to him and what's happened to so many uh, people uh, across time. And we're just getting to the point now where because people videotape and because right. social media, we're seeing it more and we're able to repeatedly see it more. But um, it's important to realize that that's been part of what the culture is going back um, so that this isn't new. This isn't a unique experience to Rochester. It's not a unique experience uh, to the United States, but it's part of our ecosystem and how do we address it in a way that, again, centers Black lives in a positive way, not in a way of control. So one piece is about control. And I think it, it, it's very easy um, for those in helping professions because of the power differential and also because of history to escalate very quickly, especially with black and brown people to wanting to control somebody as opposed to wanting to help somebody, to confuse control with help. So somebody who might ex be experiencing uh, um, uh, trauma, uh, uh, acute mental illness that is impacting his or her functioning to be put in a position where they're handcuffed, to be put in a position where um, their vision is obstructed and they don't know what's going on, to be put in a position where they might be forced to sit on the curb. These things actually escalate anxiety in people. They escalate fear in people. They don't decrease the mental health issues that somebody is facing. So in a way, it's the exact, I would argue, the exact wrong thing to do when trying to support somebody uh, who is experiencing mental challenges at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A second piece in this is there are such frayed systems for those of us, especially in communities of color, to be able to use when a loved one is, is expressing uh, intense emotional distress other than the police. So not having uh, uh, support systems that really are trained to address the mental health challenges that an individual might be facing that don't involve the police is one of the reasons why this family was in the position where they're calling the police to get, to get help. And what they actually get is uh, a very negative outcome, you know, the worst outcome that could, uh, could happen. So being, and this is one of the things that movements, especially after George Floyd, have really accelerated around how do we rethink what type of support and services do individuals need that don't involve 
uh, using um, systems that are really put into place to control and manage people instead of to create uh, help for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The third piece, which is a huge systemic issue for us as black and brown people is there just aren't enough um, mental health resources, institutions, or individuals trained in community mental health or um, mental health for individuals to be able to address the need that's out there. So in the absence of that, again, you fall to the resources that you've been um, socialized to use, which in the first case is going to often be the police. Um, the, the last piece I would say is that from a place of black psychology and also psychology of other groups, so much of the focus is really on strength instead of more of a Western approach, which is on the quality of somebody. So for this young man, what I would still be wondering for Elijah McClain, what I'd be wondering for Brianna Taylor, what I'd be wondering, how do people, especially in helping professions, come into that interaction and see the individual from a place of strength, not from a place of deficit, not from a place of somebody who can be controlled, but somebody who needs to be helped, but still be able to center that person's sense of humanity. All right, now, well, thank you for that. And folks who may just be joining, I'd like to let you know that you're listening to Black Talk. Black Talk is a co-creation of the Boulder County NAACP and KGNU. And today we are talking about black mental wellness. And my guest is Dr. Eldridge Greer. And Dr. Greer, I wanted to ask you also about something that at least in my understanding is a relatively new, I don't wanna say concept, but I think it's been a new pronouncement or acknowledgement. And one of the more, I think, interesting public declarations that has occurred this past year or so is this acknowledgement that racism is a public health issue. And so there has been this recognition that physical violence and victimization and re-victimization and traumatizing and re-traumatizing events really damage one's emotional and mental well-being. And so that would include contacts with law enforcement, for example. Um, and contacts with law enforcement have been shown and <laughs> most black folks know this already, but have been shown to result in anxiety or depression, um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think about, and I've often talked about the fact that for example, the George Floyd murder was replayed on television over five thousand times. And so, you know, you're a therapist who works with clients who represent kind of myriad kind of gender presentations and gender expressions and physical challenges, races, ethnicities. How have your black clients been showing up during the pandemic? Because that pronouncement, that announcement of racism as a public health issue is when I first heard public health officials some physicians actually agree <laughs> or agree to acknowledge that in fact racism is a public is a public health issue. Yeah, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think you know to anchor that too. Uh, 
huge props to elders, uh, psychologists, uh, social workers who are black, indigenous, um, Latino, who have for decades argued that to not understand the impact of racism, sexism, homophobia, heterosexism, classism, as contributors to significant mental health challenges was oppressive. And that we're getting to the place now where we're realizing as a culture that those things play a substantial role or can play a substantial role in the mental challenges that somebody might be facing as well as in what resources do they have for mental health or mental well-being. Mm -hmm. um, we know that uh, just uh, in terms of research uh, during the pandemic, about 20 to 40% of peoples have endorsed increased anxiety or increased signs of depression. Mm -hmm. We know that the sense of social isolation that's necessary because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but it plays a tremendous role in the mental health of individuals. We know that from research, our youth who need to be quarantined uh, during the pandemic have suffered dramatically in terms of their own social emotional wellness because of not having that sense of connection. Mm -hmm. And especially for uh, black and indigenous and Latino peoples, we know that because of our, our strength of often living in multi-generational homes or keeping kinship networks um, closely enmeshed, that the risk of COVID has been more pronounced and, and also the outcome of COVID has been more pronounced in our communities, which increase anxiety and increased depression um, within those communities. I can't remember who it was. I can't remember the name of the comedian, but once we became more aware of COVID-19 um, and once I think it was March 11th when the World Health Organization announced that we were in the midst of a pandemic. I, again, I can't remember who it was, but he said, um, black people aren't gonna make it if it requires social distancing, because we love to be together. And he was joking about it, you mm -hmm. know, just saying mm -hmm. we were never going to be able to adhere, you know, to, you know, to those protocols um, around social distancing. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what you're speaking of. You're speaking right. of, again, again, some of these cultural precepts or the ways in which we have coped. And one exactly. of the coping right. mechanisms has been being together. Right. and supporting one another. And I mean, physically being together along as, you know, providing emotional support as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, my mom lives, uh, you know, about half a mile away from me. And so I can check in on her. I can go into her house and just make sure everything's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in her 80s, but I'm not spending time with her in the same way. Mm -hmm. So the sense of uh, communalism, the sense of connectedness, the sense of what we gain from each other, especially as black and brown people, that is nourishing to our mental health is stripped. And I would not have it any other way right now because I do not want to do something that would harm, you know, potentially uh, have my mom, you know, pass away from COVID. So there's this, there's this big tension that we face around, we have to social distance, we have to uh, keep our loved ones safe, and it's at a dramatic psychological cost for us. Mm -hmm. When we think about the psychology of, of Black people, usually the tenant of that work to really create a wellness, a sense of harmony with the world. 
So finding balance in the world, a sense of spirituality, not necessarily religion, but a sense of spirituality, that there's justice, that there's beauty, that there's grace in the world, and that we, uh, we are the personification of it. And that there's connectedness, that we feel connectedness to each other and also across time and a sense of communalism. In the COVID experience, especially coupled with the experience of, of what's happened in terms of racial reckoning over the last uh, several months, have really that sense of connectedness and that sense of communalism that are two of the major foundations that we've used across centuries to maintain mental wellness when we've been in situations that are not structured at all for us to be mentally healthy. Well, Dr. Greer, thank you so much for being a part of Black Talk today to kind of upping our awareness when it comes to Black mental wellness. Um, folks, you've been listening to KGNU. Black Talk is a co-creation of the Boulder County NAACP and KGNU. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Greer, you'd like to hear more about Black mental wellness, join us. We're going to continue the conversation. I mean, we body body, that G or T or U, you know we body body, still, you know he body body, my manager TC, you know he body body, big A, body body, and all you see, you know she body body, Sigmund, body body, Mr. Servant, it's body body, Moby Dick, you know he body body, Kelly G, K. Luke. Body body, Craig, you know he's body body, and Neil S don't get some stuff cause he's I'm body body. I'm here to show body. a whole bunch of players that I'm proud of, coming from the crest and testing ups and ready to bust on those who doubt it, I'm rowdy as they come, so I know you don't want none of this below sea level flow, coming like a tornado brings drama, either way I have to do this, so break yourself fools, here comes a woman to this true click, the chick you love to hate but yet ain't bold enough to face cause me yet finish first in this grand diva race i keep your ear holes laced with my pimp strips funk punks play your hate because they issue be bone they get stuck like a roach or broke down to their knees cause in this drama feel but we do play for cheap downtown six ward love feet on guard seven ward hard heads feelings out that St. Bernard night walk press park desire and florida new orleans so proud that every day we come and hold a fire water got them high off the weight that I flow, drum boat, green, green, and plus my eight to fake. Got them paying 20 bones. So bring it on because I got it recognized. No limit in me, your ex players flex if you're about it, about it. Yeah, you about it, about it, cause um, I'm about it, about it. And rest in peace, my girl Jill, cause she was about it, about it. I mean, she about it, about it. She was about it, about it. And all them no limit hustlers, we about it, about it. Master P. You know I'm body body, the whole New Orleans. Them hustlers are body body. Baton Rouge, you know they body body. Body body. Tennessee, you know they body body. Alabama, Arkansas, even Joe, Cincinnati, and all you other brothers down in South South Florida. You know they body body. Body body. From Richmond, California. KGNU FM 88.5, Boulder. KGNU 1390, Denver. 
You know they body body down in Kansas City. You know they body body Kentucky, Ohio, Washington, cause they body body. Mean Green. You know he's body body. My homie Greg Street. Body body. Rock Wayne. You know he's body body. cold You know he's body body. Rock Sheen in the Mac. Know your body body. And my homie in LA, Moon is body body. Cause we body body. If you body body. However, none of our previous conversations about Black mental health have included the voice, the wisdom, the lived experience of Percy Robert Miller Sr., um, known to his many fans as Master P. So, Percy, yes. would you mind if we begin by turning the clock back to May 27th, 2022? Um, I know you announced your daughter's death on Instagram on the 29th, but would you mind going back to the 27th? In other words, would you mind going back to when you learned? I want to say going back, how you learned and, you know, how you put all of that together as as a father. Yeah, well, first of all, I want to tell everybody that uh, mental illness and mental health and substance abuse is, is, is a serious issue, not only amongst our culture and our people just it's colorblind. It's it's mm-hmm. it's affecting and destroying so many families all over the world. And for me to get a phone call like that, a tragedy that affects my family when I'm constantly out about helping other people families and and um like I said, it's it's definitely colorblind. Uh when you look at hip hop, it's destroying so many kids. Um, when you look at the workforce, when you look at middle schools, uh, high schools, college, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's definitely destroying our people. And I take it serious. Uh, getting a phone call like that, I, I wouldn't wish that on no parent, you know, losing a child. So it took me through a lot to where it makes you want to give up. It makes you want to question yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, it also makes you pray more. It makes you find out who God really is. And it it, it uh, forced me to my purpose. And my purpose and passion is to help save the next generation. Even- well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Percy. Um, your daughter, am I pronouncing her name correctly? Was it Tatiana? Yes, Tatiana. Okay, so Tatiana, tell us about her. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, she's a fun child. Uh, and I think what I want people to realize that she had a lot of dreams and visions. And um, so mental illness is also a take people to self-healing, no matter whatever you go through, self-medicating, all these different things that happen through mental illness. And that's where the substance abuse come in at. So my daughter was a bright person. She hung around some of the wrong people, I would say. Uh, probably found the wrong love because when you when you fall in love and you think that somebody's right for you and they not you know sometimes you need you and, and that's why I said today is about bringing awareness to this because it, it it don't just start from it start from emotions it start from all these different you know friendships love whatever it all goes into this and once you you know, some people they they find they think they found love, and then if it don't work, and then they down, and they go through so many different things. And and uh, you know, I mean, when you don't even know that people are dealing with mental illness, think about that. Uh, even families are afraid and scared to talk about this. Right, right. Uh, 
you know, so me and my daughter, mom, we, you know, we want to share our story with people because we feel like a lot of families are keeping this secrets until a tragedy or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I just feel like we we got to talk about this. We got to communicate and we're going to use her life to to be parachute. So we call it Tata's parachute uh, to where her life could be that parachute for other people to land on their feet, other kids to mm -hmm. land on their feet. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 a shaky road when you yeah. deal with mental illness, you're dealing with a, it's definitely a shaky road. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 I want to use her life to celebrate, uh, to celebrate her life, to help others change and grow that, that still have that second, third, fourth chance to probably overcome this, to get the right help, to get to the right facilities to get the right counseling, the right people around them. And, and then start with a conversation like what me and you is having right now. Mm -hmm. uh, start with talking about instead of holding their secrets and hiding this. Yeah, so, absolutely. So let yeah. me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, I know from my own experience, because I've been around for a while, that grief doesn't just happen yeah. in a very compartmentalized way. It can happen and happen and yeah. happen. And even when you think you've backed away from it a bit, something yeah. will happen again. And oh, so yeah. that just takes you back there. And I believe if I have this correct, that this week, the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner's Coroner's Office actually brought it to a final conclusion and uh, termed her death, Tatiana's death, a fentanyl intoxication. Yeah. Am I correct about that? Yes. So yeah. how did that feel? Because you've been working through this, working through this, yeah. she died in May, and I'm not suggesting, you know, again, May happened, you moved to June, and then you were fine. Um, you're a parent, this is going to be a lifetime. Well, no, um, it's, it, it's constantly just open up wounds. And so, like, my thing, the way how we deal with this, we got to, you got, like I told you, you got to pray, you got to go to God, like, um, and just break up families, knowing that, you know, People are dealing with these situations and it, it don't matter where you come from or what family tree you come from. You could have a strong root or you could have a weak root. You could have a weak tree. It don't even matter. So it's like you're going to constantly go through something. Mm -hmm. Like one thing I do know that everybody is going to die. It's who are choosing to live now. That's mm -hmm. the difference. You have to choose to live now. And that's the message that we want to give to everybody that's watching, that's listening to this. We're not going to be able to change whatever is going to happen, but we could use every person's life as a learning lesson to grow and to get help and to seek. So for me, you know, it's not about, um, you know, having these wounds keep being opened up because losing a child, like I said, I wouldn't wish that on nobody, but, um, it's something that you're going to have to deal with forever. And I love my daughter and, and I know that she's in a good place and I know that, that, that she's in heaven. So that's the most important thing for me. Like I truly believe that. I mean, she had a good heart, a good spirit, but like I said, mental illness and substance abuse is like, we're dealing with this everywhere, everywhere. Like kids are self-medicating and we have to change that to say, you know, it could start with, going to the doctor, getting Xanax, thinking for depressions. Uh, you know, we have to really conquer this disease by 
bringing awareness and by treating us the right way. So that's what this is going to be about. That's right. what this week is going to be about. And uh, I don't want this just to be about my daughter because we lost just this year alone dealing with this uh, um with mental illness and uh, fentanyl, we we probably lost over a hundred thousand people mm -hmm. this year. So uh, it's it, it's heartbreaking, it, but it's reality. And how we deal with it, is we have to stand up and and fight this together. We we are stronger together. Yeah, so, and I know you've made this your mission. It's yeah. interesting because in my classes, I sometimes talk about the fact that one out of every three, some would say one out of every four American will deal with a mental health episode at some point in their life, if yeah. not more. Yeah. Um, and so it touches everybody, as you stated at the outset, that it really touches, it touches everyone. So let me ask you this though, because um, you've been around for a bit. I'm not saying you're old, but I'm just yeah. saying you've been around for a bit. <laughs> And so how well, that's a good that? thing. That's a <laughs> no, good thing. no, absolutely. I'm I, I with want you on these that. kids to know because I, I I'm looking at it as like we're dying young, hip hop is dying young, and we saying like don't be afraid to grow up and get older, educate yourself, mm -hmm. uh, get the right wisdom, get the right people around you, the right mentors around you. Don't be don't be afraid to say you don't know something. Like education and learning is so important because that's what got me here by me going to college, purging my education, I was able to make better decisions and choices. And I think that's what this is about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when did you first become aware? I don't want to say when did you first become aware of mental illness, mm -hmm. but when did you first become aware that it was as rampant, that it was as widespread as it is, how young were you? Was it a particular experience that you'd be willing to share with us? But again, when did you come into that consciousness? Well, I mean, I grew up in poverty, so I've always knew that this was a problem, but people was afraid to talk about it. I think about it, if you look in, I grew up in a project, so every house somebody has somebody dealing with mental illness that they're probably hiding in the closet or hiding in the back room when mm -hmm. people come to their houses. So, uh, but I think now people starting to realize that we can fix this by sharing this, stop keeping this a secret and getting help for our loved ones. So, I mean, I dealt with, I grew up with a military family. So I have uncles that fought in the war and came back home and they was not the same. Yeah. And it was certain things that people had to take their time and and, and help them get the right help they needed and and even about you know even the people that are getting the right help you have to really understand what medicine worked for you some yeah. people get off the medicine too fast they don't take the medicine so you get all these different you know reactions until you actually find the right way to to deal with this so I just think it's it's been around a long time but I think all cultures is embarrassed by this, especially if they have somebody in their family, even if they're dealing with it themselves. You mm -hmm. look at some of these athletes, look at some of the top athletes right now that you are seeing uh, that has been dealing with this and all of a sudden they get in trouble or they lash out or they or they, or they, uh, they do something that's out of character. And uh, and you, you start seeing like uh, these people been dealing with this, but people been hiding this. That's mm -hmm. why I was saying our conversation uh, this week is going to be about 
stop keeping this a secret. The only way we could cure this is communicate, talk about this, and get our people the right help. Well, let me let's dig into that a little bit more because you've been quoted as saying that mental illness and substance abuse is a real issue that we can't be afraid to talk about. Yes. And I guess I'm wondering, how would you advise people, and perhaps it's from your own experience, to get past that obstacle, to get past that fear? Because it's so fear-based. Well, my thing is this to people. If you want to live, you're going to have to talk about this and get the proper help. Be honest with you, because think about it. We all are humans. I have seen people die on the streets that just had mental illness. They wasn't bad people. So think about it. They didn't take their medicine. They turned tough. They turned angry. They run up on the wrong person, get shot or killed. We just lost like a good person that probably if they would have had their medicine, we would have took them to the hospital. Uh, we could have saved their lives. And so that's those are the type of things that I'm saying that even though you see somebody walking up the street, instead of laughing at them, saying, you know, that person has a problem. And it's a mental issue. It's not like, and guess what? Next week, if that person got healthy and got fixed, that'd probably be somebody that could help somebody. So instead of overlooking this, uh, making fun of the person, uh, let's figure out how to get the, get get these people help. And that's my that's my mission that I'm on. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that uh, nobody's perfect, and we all have done it before. Because you don't know what somebody's going through. You just you just might see an angry person or somebody going through something. And then if you react back with the same thing, not knowing what that person been through or going through, you could be hurting or destroying somebody that really could probably change and help somebody else or even save a life. So I, I and mm-hmm. and that's the mission that that we own. I mean, we're gonna do everything that we can with this. I'm I'm getting together with with artists of mine to say. We, let's come together. Let's do concerts for this. Let's bring awareness to this. Let's uh, let's 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 build some structure, some landing uh places to where we could get these people help, and 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 you know get them the right medicine, get them the right doctors. Uh, and Percy, are you finding that people are responsive? Yes, you said yes, you were talking yes. to other musicians and so forth. Yes. Have people Every, been everybody's responsive because think about it. Some of the people we're talking to probably dealing with these same issues, but afraid to talk about, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and like I said, they're self. So they are self-medicating, whether they doing, you you see a lot of these artists doing lean, they doing, taking all type of Xanax, all these different, uh, you know, drugs and stuff, Mm -hmm. fentanyl, everything. Like they're taking all these different drugs for self-medication because they want to calm down or calm their nerves, but they don't really understand that they are destroying their lives even worse or even killing themselves at the same Mm -hmm. time and not knowing. We all want to feel better. We all want to feel better. So no, I get that. Now you're from um, an area of New Orleans called Central City. Am I right? Yes. And uh, what was it like growing up there? Well, it was tough. Uh, I grew up in a poor neighborhood, but it was a lot of love. Like, and I think that's what helped me make made it out of there. Mm-hmm. Just the people, the older people looking out for you, and that's why I support. And I'm I'm always there for the elderly to help the elderly at the same time because uh, I had a lot of wisdom and knowledge around me that people wanted to see me make it. Mm-hmm. You know, I made sure I went to school, made sure I got the right education, and I think 
that's what I love. Even though the community was tough, but the people in there uh, had a lot of love and passion for each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you still have family there? Yes, I still have family in New Orleans. Uh -huh. Lots of family. Yeah, you, know, you talked about uncles and others who had military experience. Yes. And so it's interesting because everybody is writing about, talking about, discussing the homeless population and sometimes forgetting that a fair number of the individuals we see living on the street who are unhoused yeah. are veterans yeah. and many have mental health issues that have gone untreated. Yes. And so I often mention that to, to folks when you're looking at people, as you just stated, you don't know who you're looking at, you don't know their experience, yes. but how we have really, in many ways, abandoned our veterans. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I've never gone abandoned. I started a brand just for the veterans. I'll show you this. Oh, what's that? This is Soldier Snacks. Huh, and I haven't seen it. Well, you're wearing, I noticed that you're wearing um, a sweatshirt, I think, that says Soldier. So Yes. Okay. Well, so tell me about I come, that. I come from a military family. My grandfather, Claude Miller, he fought in the war. And it's all about every time we sell a bag of this, we give him back to Vietnam veterans families, the ones that lost their parents. And we want to take care of their kids. My grandfather, when he was alive, he took care of the community. He cooked for them. He made food. And we, we made this brand for him to wear. Uh, to keep celebrating his name. And uh, Claude Miller, senior, we call him Sergeant Claude. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the character on here, Sergeant oh, Claude. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah, so we- How uh, do we get those? Uh, you can go to uh, soldiersnacks.com. Oh, okay, okay. Soldiersnacks.com. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's all about the military. Like, and the more we make, the more we give. And, and this has been a blessing. We've been able to help so many families with this brand. You know, well, that's a question I have for you, Percy. When I think in terms of mental health, when I think yeah. in terms of addiction, because yeah. um, I know quite a bit about it from family yeah. members, I don't think there's anybody left whose life has been untouched by yes. it in some way, shape or form. And if it hasn't, you just aren't paying attention. But yeah. I was going to say when it comes to mental health treatment or addiction treatment, it's expensive. Yes. And so if we want to focus in on the black community specifically, mm -hmm. um, some black folks can afford that, um, but many can't because yeah. um, we don't have the proper health care. If we have health care at all, yeah. uh, we don't have insurance if we have insurance at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think about my grandmother who worked in factories and, you know, for most of her life and she never had health insurance. You know, most black folks her age and growing up where she did at that time didn't have health insurance. And unfortunately not a lot has changed. So when I think about getting people the support or the help they need, mm -hmm. what are you thinking in terms of actually getting people into treatment? Or what are you thinking in terms of getting people therapy if they need one-on-one -on -one therapy or group therapy or they need medication, whatever form it might take? Yeah, I think- How do we do that? How do we do that financially? I, I think- we got to stop worrying about the money part because when it when you, when you look online now and you look in your community, it's all about educating the people around us. They have facilities and places that will take our people. I know I didn't see this, and uh, it, it's about making sure, like when you're dealing with mental illness, that our people can fill the forms out, that they can go to the right place. The government has so many different things we talk about now about insurance, which when my grandmother 
was around. They didn't have these type of things. Right. Right. So like, it's just filling the forms out. I mean, we're going to have to start. And that's what I love about the program we're creating. Even just getting young people to be able to go online, fill these forms out for the elderly and take care of them. So now we can make sure that this is done the right way. And then they have they have other programs that's like, if you fill this out and you don't get this, uh, even insurance companies, to be able to exactly print our people into the right directions. And because I think it's, it's to me, it's a lack of education. There's so much stuff out there now, even if we go on the internet and say, let's Google how to get help if you don't have insurance. So I know in New Orleans, where I'm from, we have facilities that help people that don't have insurance. We're not turning people away. And so in all these different places, they do have facilities like that. But one, we're going to have to be able to get our people there. So we're going to be able to get transportation and get them there. Uh, we, we're going to have to be able to have somebody that's going to be responsible enough to fill out the paperwork. I'm telling you, it's more important that it's a lot of stuff. Like they always say, you want to keep a secret from us, put it in a book. There's so much stuff out there. When you look at mental illness and substance abuse, it's it's facilities that want to help, but our people have to know how to get to those places. It might be across town. It might be somewhere else. So we, it, we are growing. I mean, in my city, New Orleans, where I'm from, like I know a lot of people just don't have the proper information. And I think those are the type of things that we're going to have to do because we love our people is make sure we research, figure it out, figure out how to get them help and see what do the government have to to give to them that we're just not filling out the, the paperwork of uh, being able to to get insurance. Mm -hmm. So I just think that it's, it's a bunch of organizations now that realize I mean, it's from California, everywhere. It's like we got homeless people. We got they got they got opportunities for so many different people. But if you don't fill the paperwork out or you don't have somebody responsible enough to take care of the business, then we can't get help for our people. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the the, the family members have to kind of like stop and spend some time for you. I think that's what it's about now. Actually, spend some time. Everything is at the click of the hand now. Mm -hmm. Like I could Google. How can I help to get this? But the elderly people don't understand about people dealing with some type of mental issue. They don't know how to do that. So we're going to have to take time. I tell you all the time, you know, all you got is your loved ones. You can walk out that door and they'll never come back again. And so you have, if you really love somebody, take that time to give them that love and show them right now, not when they gone. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what we have to do as, as a culture. We have to, just like you said, you got elderly people in your family. They they spent their life trying to work and take care of you and protect you. You could at least stop for a minute to help them get the proper help that they need. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've been moving around. You know, you've been moving around the country. You've been talking about this. You've been talking with folks. I'm just interested in who you've been talking to. Um, I'm also interested in, is there something perhaps in a conversation, because I'm certain as you go around to schools or you go around to churches, whomever, you know, that you've been sharing this message with, and you say you're on a mission, um, and you've been quoted as saying you're on a mission. So as you're out there. I, I'm not saying I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. Like if, if your heart been ripped out, you're going to either react to do something 
and 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 to make a difference. And my whole thing is stop talking. We're gonna be a part of solution, mm -hmm. not problems. This is what gets me up in the morning, knowing that I could help somebody else, uh, family and their kids get you another day, survive. Like I say, we all gonna die, no matter what. I don't care. I mean, you got 10 family members in your family. All 10 of them is going to die before it's over with. Think about it. The thing, the thing that you got to realize now, how to make the best out of your life while you're alive. And how do you prepare yourself to live now? That's the thing. That's the message. That's the goal, to get people to live a good life, a good, healthy life while they're living. That's the, that's the message. If we could show our people that, it's going to start through education and having faith. But they say faith without work is dead. So you got to have faith. I believe in God. That's the first thing that helps me get up, that helps me even to fight my battles or overcome whatever adversity that I have to deal with every day. I don't complain. And I want to show people that it's not over. As long as you got a breath of life, you could help. You could do your part. I done talked to so many parents that burnt the finger at themselves. Even me, I beat up on myself a lot. Like, what, what more could I have done? You know what? None of us are God. None of us are perfect. So you could, you could take somebody to church every day. You could show them the right way. And then mental illness is for real. Or somebody could be a risk taker. And they could all come from a good loving church family. So it don't matter. Or they all could come from a black, white, Asian, Latino. It don't matter. This is this is affecting everybody. And that's why we're communicating and talking about this. But we can't be afraid to get up and do our part. And so that's what God has blessed me with. And you know, just being able to talk to these other parents and talk to these other family members and other kids and knowing that that uh people are searching for answers. Mm -hmm. And I could use I could use my mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. to help heal somebody else. I'm thankful and blessed to do that. That's what and, and it also heals me yeah. in other people's situations. And so no, absolutely. And so, you know, that's the so you know, when I when I when I come into town, I feel like that's what we need to talk about. Uh uh, I don't I don't want to get into everything right now, but I I, I definitely wanna come to town and sit down with you and let's figure out how we could heal this disease because mm -hmm. mental illness and substance abuse, it's a disease. Oh, and, absolutely. And it's it's going to take a village and uh, none of us have all the answers. Uh, it's going to take a lot of praying and it's going to take a lot of love uh, and it's going to take a lot of passion. So uh, and a lot of sacrifice. So we're gonna have to sacrifice our time if we if we if we want to see change and growth. And uh, so I just want to let you know uh, I'm about to get ready to go to church, and uh, I thank you guys uh, for having me today. And mm -hmm. I can't wait to get there uh, with you so we could we could we could we could further this conversation. Mm -hmm. and, okay. Uh, and okay. Now we're looking forward to it. And just for listeners, in case you're wondering. Percy's going to be in Denver yes. on November the 10th, and he's going to make some stops um, yes. before he hits the uh, New Hope Baptist Church in Denver. And he will be there at six o'clock p.m. 
on Thursday. You can go out to Eventbrite and get more information, but I'm also going to post information um, about the event here on KGNU's website so you can access information and uh, join us and uh, listen to a bit more of this conversation about mental health um, yeah. and most especially how mental health is impacting the Black community. Yes. So I thank you for that. Yes, no, thank you. Like I said, don't be afraid to come out. Let's talk about this. Let's save the next generation. And uh, the, the way we do this, we got to we got to let God lead us with this. So we definitely need the churches and we got to do this in love. So mm -hmm. I love y'all. Well, so thank you so much. Red, so I see y'all soon. Thank you so much. Listen, have a good day. Yes, thank you. So you heard Percy Robert Miller, senior, known to many as rapper Master P, talk about what's brought him to this place. Talked about his daughter's death, talked about how issues to do with substance abuse and mental health have spurred him on, spurred him on to come out and talk to various community members, school children, anyone who will listen about these very issues. Dr. Rita Walker, who's the author of The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health wrote, resilience in the face of adversity is both a strength and weakness for black people. Somewhere along the way, we learned that we can never be vulnerable. Resilience in the face of adversity is both a strength and weakness for black people. Somewhere along the way, we learned that we can never be vulnerable. I also want to engage Percy in a conversation about music and music as a source of strength music as a source of strength and support. And just wondering, since he is steeped in that world, if there's any music that, you know, just by chance provides um, a source of strength and support for him. I also wanted to talk about the fact that only one in three black adults with mental illness receive any sort or any form of treatment. But again, want to make it clear that Percy, Master P, will be visiting the Boulder, Denver metropolitan area on November the 10th. As I understand it, he's going to be spending a bit of time in Boulder at the CAUSE, the Center for African and African American Studies, as well as the RAP Lab on the CU campus. I believe he's going to be spending some time in Montbello, perhaps Montbello High School or some of the other um, schools located in that community. And again, KGNU listeners know that you can hear more about this topic and engage in this conversation, take a deeper dive into this conversation on the evening of 10 November at six o'clock PM. It's going to be a hybrid event. So you can actually link in or you can come in person Percy was invited as a guest speaker as part of a collaboration between Aurora Boulder and Denver's NAACP. 
And these NAACP branches have begun what they're calling an extraordinary speaker series. And this particular segment is entitled Tackling Mental Health. And as I said, it's part of this larger collaboration between the Aurora, Boulder, and Denver branches of the NAACP. And we will post that information on the KGNU website. So with that, kind of a different, kind of a different black talk, but hopefully informative and perhaps even uplifting. As I said earlier, when Percy was still with us and we were still talking about these topics, there are very few people, if any, whose lives have not been touched in some way by substance abuse, by mental health issues, by both. So with that, we look forward to you joining us next time on Black Talk. Again, the show that features Black voices, Black thought, and Black vision. Thank you so very much.